In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So here we are approaching the very end of the Pentecost season. As we move along, we get to the very end of Matthew's uh, gospel. And as we get closer to the end of Matthew's gospel, the lessons get a little harder and harder and harder. It's uh, like that one from Sephaniah earlier this morning after it was read. You know, we all said the word of the Lord and we all said, thanks be to God. And I wanted to say, thanks be to God. After you hear that, I don't quite hear the good news in that particular story. So we're going to focus on the gospel. Let me first say that uh, the people who write the commentary, the modern commentator writers, are, uh, are trying to a different spin for all of us who read these things, telling us that uh, the hero of the story is the guy with the one talent, uh, because he refuses to be abused, and the master is the one who abuses him. Now, I've tried to make some sense out of that, and I have to tell you, maybe it's because I'm old, Maybe it's because I'm set in my ways, but that dog won't hunt with me. So I think I'm going to have to give you what uh, is the obvious, I think, was the obvious interpretation, and maybe the more traditional interpretation of this particular parable. Uh, to begin with, we need to understand that, as I always say to you, context determines content to some extent or another. And here are a couple of things that may be helpful to us to understand this particular parable. For the people of that day, they understood this parable very, very easily on two counts. Number one is they were used to people who traveled to be gone for a long time. And when they traveled, they would leave someone in charge of whatever it was that they owned. The two people who traveled the most in those days were the rulers and the merchants. The rulers, because they had to go back to Rome to check it out in Rome, if they were the ones who were still in charge, to make sure that they were still in charge. And they would leave their lieutenants with, uh, in a sense, to keep law, to keep the order of the land, to make sure that when they got back, things would be exactly as they had left them. Then the second one, of course, were the merchants. And the merchants would travel all over the world. And they would go travel all over the world to go find whatever it is that they were searching for to bring it back. Uh, to bring it back. And they understood that. And they were gone. Nobody knew how long they were going to be gone. In those days, you know, there were no, no, no schedules, no, nothing like that. You never knew when they were going to come back. So they left people in charge of the things that belonged to them. And they said, make sure to take care of this. When I come back, I still want to be a rich person. When I come back, I still want to be, have something here that's worth the, what I have left, left you with. The second thing which I think is important to understand this parable is that for the people who are the original uh, listeners, immediately when they talked about the master, they're talking about God. I think that's how the way they understood it. And they understood it as uh, creation uh, was uh, the one gift that God had given to all of us. And that at creation, God had finally ceased to do everything so that you and I would have something to do. I'm paraphrasing what Simone Weil said about that. But creation was the point when, when God stopped doing everything so that you and I would have something to do, so you and I would be somebody. And they understood it in that light. And at creation, you and I, all human beings, all the people back then were endowed with three gifts from God. And the three gifts from God were this. Everyone is endowed with power. If you define power by the ability to act, just like God were created in the image of God, and God has power, and God cannot. So you also have, like God, in the image of God, power. You have the ability to act. The second thing which, uh, for which uh, they, they were given was freedom. God is free. And likewise, you're created in the image of God, so you are free. You can choose how you're going to act. You can choose what's going to happen. You can choose the one who determines what's the best way to live your life. So you have the ability to act, and you have the freedom to act as you see fit. To be responsible, responsible, able to respond to the will of God. And the third thing is that all of us, they understood this very well, just like you and I understand it. 
that God has endowed us with God's loving spirit. God has endowed us with God's loving spirit. God does everything on behalf of something that gives joy to God and is a benefit to everybody else. And like that, like you and I, are endowed with God's loving spirit. So that what we do pleases our spirits and is good for other people around us. And if you can capture that, you begin to understand the people who are listening this to this automatically say, oh yeah, I know about masters living. I know about creation. I know about God. I know about those gifts that God has given to us. And then the story begins and the tension begins to rise. One guy gets five talents. Now we translate talents as the modern way. Uh, athletic talent, singing talent, business talent. You go on down the line, all the talents we identify with it. Talent in those days was a monetary unit. The talents was worth about 50, uh, about a year's worth of work. So when somebody gives you five talents, it's like five years of your salary to take care of it. It's a lot of money. I don't care how much you make, five-year salary is a lot of money in any circumstance. So the first guy gets five years' worth of salary to take care of it. And then there's a second guy who gets two talents, two years' worth of salary. And then there's one guy who gets, of course, the one-year salary. Master goes away. They understand this fully. Master comes back at an undetermined time. He comes back and he says, well, what have you done? Have you taken care of my property? Have you done what I've asked you to do? Have you done something that uh, improves the lot around us and that will bring you joy in your life? And of course, the first one shows up, and you can imagine him. He said, I think he's like a teacher's pet, you know? <laughs> were you ever in a class where there was a teacher's pet? They always sat at the front row. They knew all the answers, and they were always the ones to raise their hand. I hated the teacher's pet, you know? I was never very well prepared for my classes, but you can almost see the teacher's pet sitting there going, all right, all right, all right, I got five, I made ten, I got five, I got ten, I got to hear, you got to hear, you got to hear. The minute the master says, all right, what have you done? He raises his hand, I've got ten. And the master says to him, oh, good and faithful servant, you've done very, very well. Then there's a two-talent person. Now, a two-talent person is not the teacher's pet, but wants to be the teacher's pet. And he's sitting not on the front row, but he's sitting on the second row. And he says, maybe if I do as well as the teacher's pet, next time I'll be the teacher's pet. So he does what is given to him. Two talents, I'll turn it into four. Good and faithful servant, you've done very well with what I've given to you. Then comes the one talent guy. And the one talent guy, as you know from the story, has buried that talent. And of course, the master responds and says, what have you done? Is that not an important amount to give to you, a year's salary to take care of that? Is this the best that you can do, burying that much money in the ground? And then he cast him into outer darkness. I have to tell you, I don't know what to do about that outer darkness part of the things. I don't believe in that God. I don't believe that God will send us into outer darkness to gnash our teeth forever and ever and ever. I do believe that if we don't act on God's behalf, God will say, okay, you do what you want to do. I'll pick somebody else to act on my behalf. I really believe that, that God is a strange strategizer. And if we've failed to act on behalf of God, God will find somebody to act on God's behalf. But let me get back to the one talent person. There may be four things that uh, were the reason why he doesn't act. The first one of this is inertia. 
I forget who it was that I said, inertia is the essence of or original sin. Maybe he's just a lazy guy and he says, I'm not going to do anything about this. I'll bury that one talent right here, that big coin worth a year's salary. I'll just bury it in the ground. All of us know about that, about inertia. All of us have a hard time sometimes overcoming our inertia. But I think that's one of the reasons, perhaps one of the reasons why this one man buries the talent there. The second may be jealousy or envy. If you get one talent, the other person gets five and two, you're jealous. And that sight-long glance will allow us to lose the focus of what God has called us to be. If you're looking at what somebody else is doing, you lose the focus of what God has called you to be. You know, when I used to run track when I was in high school and in college, the thing that the coaches always said, don't look to the lane by you. Concentrate on what you're doing. Concentrate on the finish line. Never look at the guy running next to you. Never look at the guy running on the other side. You focus on the finish line. And envy and jealousy, I think, may allow us to lose the focus of what we're trying to do. And maybe that's what drove them. Somebody got five, another got two, or I only got one. Jealousy and envy. The third one is maybe that he thought that one talent was not enough, that it didn't matter. What God gave him, what the master gave him, not enough. And the last one simply may be fear which is what's stated in the biblical narratives. The man was afraid. And you and I both know that fear is a paralyzing emotion. Fear is a diminishing emotion. And you and I know that in the first epistle of John, we hear over and over, perfect love casts out fear. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear, the fear that paralyzes our hearts, the fear that paralyzes our everything that we do, so that we back away, we hide away, and we don't rise to what God has called us to be. I had a professor in seminary, Mr. Trotter, who used to say to us as we were graduating, as we graduated from seminary, he said, to all of you seminarians, you're about to go into the church, remember this, don't cut back on your hopes in order to avoid your losses. And by that I said, you know, don't let fear control your heart when you get out there in the parish ministry. Go for something. Shoot high. I think the danger is not that we shoot high and never accomplish it. I think the danger is shooting low and accomplishing it. I think our task is to look high, to overcome our fears, and to take the risk that comes along with overcoming our fears because perfect love is what casts out fear. And you and I are enjoined by love to cast out fear. We're seeing some of that in our society today, don't you think so? I think we're seeing it with all these women coming out of the woodwork, which whatever, for whatever reason, fear had controlled their hearts, I'm not going to say anything to anybody, and somehow they have finally overcome that fear, and they have come out and clarified for all of us a situation in which many of them have been living, really claiming a right place, and they're running a great deal of risk. A great deal of risk by coming forward. You and I both know that some of them have already received death threats for having come forward. And they're claiming the truth. It's perfect love casting out fear and calling us to a better world, to calling us to a, better, to a better society. So it doesn't make any matter who it is. The women are the ones that are calling the day today. I read in the newspaper that some evangelical down in South, in South Carolina said that this is a war on men. 
And I thought to myself, my God, you call yourself an evangelical? You call yourself a Christian? Perhaps our task is to call that out for all the falsity that it is. That's nothing about men. It's about women standing up, overcoming fear, and calling us forward to a better world, to a better society, for a more equitable society. And it doesn't matter who it is that's been doing it, whether it's Roy Moore or the, the senator from Minnesota whether it's Bill Clinton or Donald Trump, whether it's a newscaster from Fox News or the guy from CNN, it makes no difference. Everyone is being called out, and they're being called out because women have finally decided to cast out fear. And I think that it's part of the civil rights movement of this country. And as you and I both know, every civil rights movement is a movement overcoming fear and living in love. I don't know what it is that keeps us from acting. I don't know what it keeps us from overcoming our fear. But I think that the Lord would want us to overcome them because you and I both know that perfect love casts out fear. And it's not whether you have five talents or two talents or one talent. When we come face to face with God, God's not going to ask you, why weren't you like Moses? Why weren't you like Abraham? Why weren't you like Mary? Why weren't you like Martha? Why weren't you like Abraham Lincoln? Why weren't you like Sojourner Truth? You know what the Lord is going to ask us? He says, why weren't you fully you? Why didn't you ask responsibly with the gifts that have been endowed to you? The spirit of power, the spirit of freedom, the loving spirit of God. To be able to add on God's behalf. To be able to claim for the world the gospel of God. Because you and I both know that when we care, we multiply the gospel of Jesus. When we give... We multiply the gospel of Jesus. When we serve, we multiply the gospel of Jesus. And we are all invited to act as best we can with what we have in our own time. So that finally, when we come face to face with God, we will hear those wonderful words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen.